Well, good morning, everybody. Um, just to clarify how I got up here, uh, a few months ago, I don't think he'll mind me saying this, Tom confused me with Jonathan King. And it was the week before Jonathan was scheduled to teach, he says, you realize you're teaching next Sunday? And I said, really? <laughs> well, this is a huge surprise. And he said, well, oh yeah, you are, you're on the calendar. And he started handing me the text. Well, I'm, I'll get, read this. It's going to be a crash course. But finally, it clarified the confusion that I was not Jonathan. So I, I got off the hook. But when the opportunity came to, for topics and potential teachers, I said, why not give it a shot here? I've actually never done this, so this is something new for me. But I'm looking forward to this, and I thank you all for giving me this opportunity. What I would like to start off here, since we're coming into Advent, the Christmas season, um, I was asked to give a title for this, and we're going to look at a Christmas family tree here. Quick question, just out of the gate here. I asked Tom to send this out, the genealogies in Matthew 1 and in Luke uh, 3, 23, 31. Did, who here has not had a chance to read it? Just real quick. Okay. We don't need to do this extensively here, but everybody, if, just take a couple of minutes and quickly scan over the first chapter of Matthew. Just take one or two minutes. Doesn't need to be extensive. We're not, there's not going to be a quiz on the sequence or the names in order, but I do want to point out a couple of things which are pretty important. So as I said, just take a minute, uh, look at chapter, Matthew chapter 1. Okay, have we had a quick scan on that? Okay. Okay. If everybody would now turn to Luke chapter 3, beginning verse 23, and again, just give it a quick scan, nothing extravagant or in-depth. Luke chapter 3, start at verse 23, starting there. Would I be a little bit off if I said there are some differences here? <laughs> just a few. So we're going to just dive right into this in a very big question. This is a question that has puzzled people for centuries now. Why is there a difference between these two Gospels? Um, there are two major things that you probably noticed just in the sequence here. If you look at David, Matthew has the genealogy going through Solomon, whereas with Luke, he has the genealogy from David being passed through to Nathan. Also, a very significant difference, Joseph, Jesus' father's grandfather, is different. Uh, Joseph's father in Matthew is listed as Jacob, and in Luke, Joseph's father is listed as Heli. So, any additional thought, first thoughts or impressions about why there might be such a huge, what would seem to be a huge discrepancy? Any, any ideas or hypotheses? Tom? I, I wrote it off to the writers. Uh, okay. Matthew is a, is a tax collector. It's mm. very short, simple, A to B, B to C, C to D. Uh, 
14, uh, real nice and neat, 14 generations between um, Abraham to David and David to the exile and the exile to Christ. Mm -hmm. It's just pat. And Luke is the doctor. Mm -hmm. And Luke probably, I thought, was more detail-oriented than Matthew. Okay. And so I wrote it off as that. Okay. Any other ideas? Nancy. This is, goes back to years ago. When I was in fellowship, we were told that, they, they, that one train of thought was that one is the Jews and one is Joseph. Okay. <laughs> Luke's genealogy, one may be through Mary's descendancy and the other one may be through Joseph's. Okay. Yes. I read in one reference that the same Hebrew word could mean ancestor or father. So maybe the, the people mentioned were ancestors, but not necessarily the immediate father. Generation. Okay. All right. And yeah, any other? Ah, what an interesting thought there, because I think there's, I would contend there's some big-time truth to that. Both of these Gospels have different audiences that they're targeting. Um, one thing that I find interesting, when you look at the Gospel, or look at the Gospel of Matthew, his genealogy, he actually goes through the royal heritage he goes through David, through Solomon, through Rehoboam, whereas Luke, of course, does not. But going back to the idea of Matthew being writing for the Jews and Luke writing for the Gentiles, where do we, what prompts us to maybe think that? Maybe looking, you know, other than just commentary, just looking at the Gospels themselves, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Since you did mention that, um, looking at Matthew's genealogy, would there be something, maybe a couple of people listed in there that might call the idea of him writing exclusively for the Jews into question? A couple of people listed. He does mention women. Okay. But more specifically, anything, Nancy? Bingo. He mentions Rahab. Rahab was a Canaanite. He also mentions Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite. So, Tamar. yes, Tamar, Judah's wife as well. But like, as I said, he mentions Gentiles in his genealogy. So, like I said, some people that might say, true, Matthew is primarily writing for the Jews, but he does also mention a few Gentiles as well. So very interesting uh, thing to think about there.
not everyone in the household is considered of a family of the men. Okay. 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 But going back to what you mentioned, target audiences, this is where I think what is being what you've said is quite correct here. If you look at Matthew's gospel with respect to the nativity, he makes a concerted point and a concerted effort when writing about it how what has happened can be connected right back to the Old Testament. Luke, not so much, but Matthew definitely does point that out in his account. The other thing that I think is worth noting is when you look at Luke, you know, he talks about in his gospel Gentiles. He mentions the, good, the woman at the well. She was a Samaritan. The author of Luke also wrote the book of Acts. That deals very extensively with the Gentiles and not strictly with the Jews. What I just mentioned there when I said whoever wrote the book of Luke, this is just as a sidebar, which I found quite, this just piqued my interest as I was reading through it. And Tom mentioned Matthew being a tax collector. There's often been a question raised by scholars, did the people who write these Gospels, were they the actual people? And looking at Matthew's genealogy, seeing how concisely organized it is, he lists 14 generations from Abraham to David and 14 generations from David to the Babylonian captivity, 14 generations from the captivity to Jesus himself. That would be somebody only who deals with numbers on a fairly regular basis would, would, would come up with that. And Matthew, it is just very organized record keeping. So strictly intuitive on my part here. This is not something I've done a lot of scholarly research on. But looking at his genealogy, my gut tells me, did Matthew the disciple Matthew, did he actually write that gospel? To me, that strongly suggests that the answer is yes, looking at how he organized it and how he breaks it down by numbers. Okay. But at any rate, the genealogies are different, uh, but you will also hear some scholars will account, will make the case that, well, one of them has been corrupted somewhere along the lines. For me, that is a very, very difficult sell. And for this reason, you look all throughout the Bible, the Israelites kept immaculate genealogical records. You look at the genealogical records in Genesis and First and Second Chronicles, I mean, they are thick and very precise. So, as I said, for me, that, that's hard. It's very difficult to believe that somehow these got corrupted. But any other thoughts that anybody wants to share on this? As I said, this is, this is going to be... As I said to Tom, I have a pretty Socratarian te teaching method, so... Emily. Emily. Yes. Yes. <clears throat> but as I said, we'll, we'll get to that later on as we explore this, how Matthew comes back to what we've read, already read here. 
So, okay. I need a few volunteers here. Um, and again, I'm going to call out some passages. Just say, got it, uh, if, if you want to volunteer. Can somebody volunteer to read Genesis 12, verse 1 through 7? Just, to, just say, got it, if, you've got, if you want to. Okay. Go. And the next one, again, Genesis 15, verses 4 and 5. Any, got it? Okay. Genesis 17, 1 through 8. Nancy, okay. Genesis 17, 15 through 22. Okay. All right. Genesis 22, 15 through 18. Okay. And lastly, Genesis uh, 28, 10 through 15. Nobody volunteer, and not everybody at one. Okay, all right, thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, as I said, we're going to be looking at the family, at the Christmas family tree. And as you all noticed, Abraham is mentioned in both of them, and Matthew starts out with him. So if we'll turn to uh, Genesis chapter 12, let's have everybody, give everybody a moment to get there. While you're turning there, just to give everybody a preface here, Genesis 12 is where God calls Abraham, or Abram as he's first known, to leave Or. For those of you who have not, who don't know, Or at its time was the New York, the London, the Paris of its day. Can you imagine the Herculean effort and act of faith it would take if God were to come down and say, go, leave New York, leave Las Vegas, I'm going to send you off into a barren land for other purposes. Would anybody be thinking, what, why, why are you asking me to do this? Would that not be our first hunch? But at any rate, Genesis 12, 1 through 7, uh, who has that? If you would, go ahead and start reading. So 
he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Thank you. What you'll notice here in this, this is the first clue that God has a pretty big plan for Abraham. He, but if you'll notice, he doesn't specifically say what. He just says, go. Later on, it will become a little bit more clear. But this is it. It, is, it is the first instance of a promise. Any thoughts, any comments so far? If there, if there are none, that's, that's okay. It's just pretty straightforward. Yes. Okay. But as I said, nothing specifically is said from God as to what's coming to Abraham. He just says, "Go, and you will, your people will have your descendants will have this land that I am sending to you." Yes, Tom. Thing that I had underlined um, that I found in the homework was make your name great and bless you. Real general. Mm -hmm. And it's repeated with a um, um, couple of times. Mm -hmm. And then finally, later on, we get down to getting specific about the land. Okay. All right. So the land, like I said, the piece of land. The, of Canaan has been promised to Abraham and his descendants. That much has been definitively said there. Yes? What he says about, I will bless them who bless you and curse them who curse you, mm -hmm. sounds very current to what, what's going on mm -hmm. today. Yep. It sounds like there's a lot of people better be careful. Mm -hmm. Well, after 4,000 years, nothing has changed. Okay. All right. Very quickly, this is a very brief passage, but the wording, I think, is pretty significant. Uh, Genesis uh, 15, 4, and 5. Who has that? Please. Okay. Does anybody think that this reaffirmation of what God has planned for Abraham is a little bit more specific? I mean, he's already promised him land and that his descendants will be great. Good foreshadowing, yes. Okay. But as it, as it says, look out and count the stars. You know, so shall your descendants be. He certainly wasn't going to let Abram think small. No. God, uh, I think, tends to be a pretty big thinker. His understanding knows no limits, I would, I would contend. So, okay. So, Abram has been told to move to Canaan. He's gone to Egypt, he's now back, and God has said, so your descendants shall be very many. So, now, 
in Genesis 17, we're getting into the real, I would say, nitty-gritty of this. Uh, Genesis, of course, just, let's just start there. Genesis 17, 1 through 8, who has that? Okay. 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 Does anybody notice some different wording here that jumps out at you? There's one particular word that I'm thinking of that's, that's used here. Pardon? Bingo, covenant. For the first time, God is calling this a covenant. What's the difference? What exactly would be the difference of being a promise and a covenant? Any ideas or any? Two parties. Okay, what else? Pardon? A legal understanding. Okay. All right. So for the first time, God uses the word covenant. This shall be between me and you and your descendants. Anybody, any thoughts on the significance of that? Why now? Why is God calling this a covenant now versus previously? Tom? First of all, he's called Abraham, and Abraham believed and, and followed, followed his call. Mm -hmm. So Abraham had done something. Uh, not with a promise, but on faith. Okay. Okay. All right. But there's going to be, Abraham's going to have to do something mm -hmm. in this new contract. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. That There'll be a few things he's going to have to do. But as a... I think it is, it is very significant now that the wording on this has changed. It's no longer just a promise. This is a, bonding, a binding contract here. So, also into Genesis 17, Abraham is, he does have one son already, Ishmael, uh, from Sarah's handmaiden, uh, Hagar the Egyptian. He is still a little bit worried about his heritage and how uh, this is going to play out. 
Who has uh, Genesis uh, 17, 15 through 22? Please read. Yes, they're 22, please. Thank you. All right. So, in the genealogy listed in both Luke and Matthew, Isaac is the next person. So, looking here firsthand, God is promising the covenant with a second son and not with the firstborn. Will this be the first time that that happens? God is promising Abraham that his covenant will, not pass, will pass to Isaac. Isaac is not his firstborn son. Isaac has not been born yet. Is this the first time that that will happen? Well, Cain and Abel. But going forward, will, there be, will it happen again? Jacob and Esau. Who else? David was the youngest. Okay. Judah, anybody? Esau and Jacob, version 2. The covenant passes through Perez, who was the second born. So this will not be the first time that this happens. Yeah, Judith. Do you think that Abraham may have gotten it wrong, though, that he may have misinterpreted God um, asking him to have a son by the servant girl from Egypt? Do you think that this was uh, a mistake, kind of, and that by God's goodness, he makes remnants of Kurds, and the remnant of goodness is that the second-born Isaac is the one who is the favored one. Mm -hmm. well, what do you think about Ishmael? 
Consider this. Who is Ishmael's mother? A servant who is, who is Egyptian. She's, she's not an Israelite. So, is Sarah, is she an Israelite? Is she, okay. But she, but she is Abraham's first and only wife, correct? Correct. Okay. Well, he, Abraham does feel the need that he does need to have an heir. Um, and his wife wants him to have an heir. Yes, Sarah suggested it. Yes. Yes. Being the parents of many nations. That's why God, if you'll read the text, that's why God has them change their names. You will be, your descendants will be great, signifying that. Same thing, Jacob's name being changed to Israel. So, again, this will not be the first name change. But as I said, does anybody find it, and going back to what Judith had mentioned here, God does also promise that Ishmael will inherit. He will also be the father of a great nation. But the covenant will pass through Isaac, not through Ishmael. So, it's interesting that it's also 12, 12, 12 rulers. That pops up as a defeat. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like the 12 tribes of Israel. Yes. So... Does anybody see a pattern developing here? <laughs> Twelve disciples. Twelve disciples, yes. And God chooses who will pass this promise to. Yes. God chooses people for specific purposes, and this, this is a perfect case for Calvinism, as far as I'm concerned. God, God chooses certain people over others. As I said, he has chosen Isaac over Ishmael. I learned a long time ago, you can't ask God the question, what have you done? Why have you done? It's, it's none of my business. It's none of your business. You can't ask God, why have you done this? Yes, exactly. Very interesting. 
You can't confuse God with life. Mm -hmm. So that that's interesting, Emily. I'd never I've never heard that. So. I th I think he knew full well that it was. I mean, he later on in I didn't put this in here because it wasn't relative to the topic of discussion, but. With Ishmael, he says, his descendants will be in conflict with his relatives. So, Well, they have the same descendants, of course, but you mean the descendants from Isaac? Okay. Yes, there are. Mm -hmm. but, but as I said... The second person in Matthew's genealogy is Isaac, and as said, God has promised that the covenant, again, will pass through Isaac here. Who has uh, Genesis 22, 15 through 18, if everybody would turn there, to give, uh, just to tee this up here, uh, we're now at the point where God has commanded Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. You, this is the part where I'm was wondering, am I reading the Bible or am I reading Macbeth here? But as a, God has commanded Abraham to sacrifice his only son, his son Isaac, and Abraham is about to carry through with it, but he is told to stop, and something very important gets said here. Uh, Genesis 22, 15, 18. Uh, Tom, please read. Okay, that, okay. That, that's where, okay. I want to ask this question here. Does anybody find the timing and the sequence of events here a little bit unusual compared to what's already been said and promised to what's happening now? Is there anything that says this sequence just doesn't add up? Maybe, but going back to the covenant, yeah, in, do you have thoughts? It, it says oh. your only son. Okay, some people will have argued that this is you know, a preface to God sacrificing his own son, but going back with what has already been said, 
and like. Do you find it interesting that previously in chapter 17 God said, Isaac will inherit my covenant? So why is Abraham worried about what's going to happen here? God has already told him, I, your son Isaac will inherit my covenant. Does somebody find the timing, the sequence just kind of out of order here? Why would God make that promise and then ask Abraham to do what would seem to be you know, such a horrific act? Yes? Yeah, because eight or nine years later he says, go kill your only son. That doesn't make sense in human life. Because no matter how, how honest and intelligent Abraham was, there's no way you could logically think through that as a father and go, yeah, it'll be okay. <clears throat> Okay. Yes? Could it be that he's trying to um, show Isaac his power and importance to obey God? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, I yeah. got this from somewhere else, but um, I mean, the demonstration of having to sacrifice your own son mm -hmm. is what God did with Jesus. Yes, definitely. But as I said, God has already promised that I so why murder why is Abraham war why would God make that promise to Abraham and then ask him to kill his own son? As I said, the timing on that for me I found very and I only thought about this as I was reading through this. This just doesn't seem to add up. You would think it'd make better sense to God make to make that covenant after he had stopped Abraham, but do you think maybe that this renewal of the covenant is not so much as it is for Abraham, but passing it on to Isaac? Is this more about Isaac than it is Abraham? Any? Well, I think it's a faith question still. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, of all the challenges that Abraham has gone through, mm -hmm. and it appears in the story that we know he has been faithful, not knowing how it's going to happen, he was faithful. Well, this is mm -hmm. kind of an ultimate test of being faithful. Mm -hmm. Oh, no question. So it's, it's like another, mm -hmm. how strong is your faith? How mm -hmm. strong is your faith? Mm -hmm. My covenant is with you, and do you believe it? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. And Isaac is not a child. No. But he's going along willingly with mm -hmm. this. Mm -hmm. I've heard a lot of twists on whether he Any other thoughts? Could there be a misinterpretation that Abraham had? Uh, I realize we're all mortal, we're human, we're not uh, Jesus Christ. Could, could Abraham possibly have misinterpreted the instructions to kill your only son? And Abraham uh, misinterpreted this, and yet, of course, Isaac was saved. But mm -hmm. I don't know. Just reading the text, there doesn't seem to be much ambiguity about what God is telling Abraham to do from my perspective. And there's a lot of danger in trying to make suppositions. 
Maybe, maybe so. But as I said, Abraham is past the mother of all tests of faith. God has renewed the covenant with Abraham and with Isaac, both present. Uh, as I said, I am inclined to think this is more about Isaac than it is Abraham, my opinion, strictly. But, okay. Now, as I'm sure we're all aware, Isaac uh, has married Rebekah. He has two twin sons, Esau and Jacob. Just a quick, we'll just let's do, do a lightning round here. Give me one adjective, adjective to describe Jacob. Tricky. Tricky. Another one. Tricky. Intelligent. Intelligent. Pardon? Impulsive. Compulsive? Yeah. Impulsive. Impulsive. Okay. Manipulative. Manipulative? Okay. <laughs> Definitely that. She would... Okay. Again, one adjective. <laughs> Pardon? Entitled? What about faithful? Look at Jacob's life. Is he faithful? He gets it figured out. He does get it figured out. Yes. Actually, when he is driven, Leaves Isaac's household and is on his own. Mm -hmm. That's where he has his, his mm -hmm. yes, his, mm -hmm. yes, what Nancy said. Okay. Is Esau faithful? Hmm. We don't know a lot uh, other than the fact that uh, he begged for his inheritance and mm -hmm. couldn't get it. Okay. Is agreeing to give up your birthright for... A pot of stew, an act of faithfulness. I uh, know. Okay. <laughs> Nor wisdom. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And so, found out that his father objected to a, a bride out of the family. He yeah, deliberately he, took another wife. Mm -hmm. Esau married two Ishmaelites, yes. Mm -hmm. So, of the two, Jacob is Jacob the faithful one as opposed to Esau? Jacob clearly has the intelligence. He is very wily. Not only does he pull the wool over the eyes of his father and his brother, he also does it with his uncle. Um, so J Jacob is very, very cunning. And, but again, he does, as you put it, Tom, get it figured out, and he is faithful going forward. So uh, Genesis 28, uh, 10 through 15, who has that? Go ahead.
Okay. Thank you. Does anybody notice a little bit of different wording when God made the covenant with Abraham now with Jacob? There's one subtle, there's one subtle difference, and I don't think it's totally insignificant. Okay. And more directed. Okay. That's something I hadn't thought of and wasn't quite what a but good point. Anything else? Any other noticeable difference with how God words this? It's written now in the people. Not just their numbers, but they'll spread out all over okay. the earth. And okay. If you'll remember back in uh, Genesis uh, 15, 4 and 5, he said, look up and count the stars. What does he say to Jacob about his, the number of his descendants? There's a, there's a change as the dust of the earth. So going back, Emily, to what you had said, it seems like there are more descendants of Ishmael than there are of Jacob. Um, astronomers now estimate that there are about 100 billion galaxies in the cosmos, and each one contains about 100 billion stars. That is, there are more stars in the cosmos than there are grains of sand on the Earth. So I think the change here is not insignificant at all. God is saying, saying to Jacob, you will have plenty of descendants, but it will not be as great as your grandfather Abraham. Your, Abraham will have greater, more descendants than you will, but you will still have plenty of them. Um, I think also the fact that this, if I'm not mistaken, this is the first time that God has spoken directly to this man. He's grown up, I'm sure, hearing the promise made. Very, very good, very good point there, Nancy. Yes, God directly is directly speaking to Jacob for the first time. I, I think you're right about that. I don't think it's happened yet. But as I said, Jacob is is now promised that he will inherit the covenant, as was forecasted when he tricked his father and his brother into giving it to him. But as I said. Any any thoughts? Any comments? Do you see where we're going with this? Um, when um, God tells him this, um, I will watch over you wherever you go, and I mm -hmm. will bring you back to this land. It sounds at first like just the immediate trip to mm -hmm. his uncle. Laban mm -hmm. and all that sojourn, but later in life, Jacob, Israel, goes down into Egypt, mm -hmm. and when he dies, his sons bring him back. Bring him back. But it's interesting you mentioned that his sons and his descendants do not come back; they remain 
in the land of Egypt. Egypt is a recurring theme in the Bible. It's there, it's plentiful, it's temptation. They do bring him back, but his descendants, like I said, his descendants all end up staying there. Tom, did you have something? Um, no. Okay. Okay. All right. It does, it does, it goes from, it's interesting because it says all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Not your offspring only, but all peoples. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's a little different. Okay. Who do you think that's referencing? All people will be blessed. Well, I think the, the, the Gentiles uh, will, be, will be blessed. Okay. Even, even more specific. Okay. Who grants the blessing? And who's, what's this season about? There you go. You keep get if you keep if you. That's the great thing about guessing. If you keep guessing, eventually you do guess correctly. So, at any rate. Mm -hmm. So, okay, all right. Well, um, thank you all uh, for this first uh, Sunday. We're we're. One Sunday early before Advent, but I said, so why not? Let's just go and get started early here with this. But uh, next week, and Tom, I will email uh, the passages uh, to you uh, later, probably tomorrow. But Genesis 49, we will start with Judah, uh, Jacob's son, and proceed from there to the house of David. But at any rate, let's close with a word of prayer. Almighty God, we are grateful for your many blessings. We are especially grateful for the gift of salvation we have obtained through your Son, Jesus Christ, whose nativity we celebrate at this time. Be with us now as we go our separate ways. Send your Holy Spirit to grant us your divine wisdom and countenance so that we may know and serve you aright. For it is in your holy and precious name we ask this in all things. Amen.